Thank you very much. I don't think anything shakes an identity as much as motherhood does. Um, just the, the laying down of a lot of dreams and a lot of hopes and a lot of desires. You're not going to find guys walking through that near to the same degree that moms do. I think I saw Christ very clearly in my bride as she navigated most of that in the, in, in the early years. And it, what it did is it challenged me as a husband to become more gospel fluent myself whenever she was in her weaker moments. So I really appreciate that testimony. Thank you so much. Hey, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. And by the way, good morning. It's good to see you. Hey, I'm excited about our birthday party today. We turn eight years old today, actually last week, okay? So it's kind of like how we really do birthdays. You don't really have it. You usually have it on the weekend of that week, right? So we had it last week would have been our eighth birthday as a church. Now, two years ago, we planted a church, and today will be their second birthday. So when we all meet together today at 2 o'clock and you don't recognize some people, they're probably from Legacy West. They don't recognize you either. But as awkward as that might feel trying to navigate those conversations, that is a foretaste because I can't wait for another 10 or 20 years when we have three or four churches all coming together to celebrate the same birthday of course, that means we have to plant on our birthday every year, but I'm willing to do that just to have that cool moment. I think it's worth it. <laughs> so if, you, uh, if you're able to get out there today, you're really going to enjoy that, the chili cook-off. Even if you don't bring chili, there will be some there for you to eat. You don't want to miss that. So 1 Corinthians 12, I've been thinking a lot about this moment the last <clears throat> week or two, the very first time I exercised what Paul would later call what I think to be a gift of a word of knowledge. It's an interesting gift. It was 1999. Um, I was at Texas Tech. I was a campus director. I might have been a pastor for a year, maybe. I was freshly minted. Walked into the student center, which is one of the main little anthills there on the campus. Hundreds of kids walking around, acting like they're studying. Um, and as I walked in, I had one prayer, and this was the prayer. Lord, give me one guy today, one guy. Just give me one person that I could be bold with, that I could be courageous for, that I could be clear and compelling with your good news. One is all I ask. And as I prayed that, I waited, walked around, sized up the room, and it was as if the whole room became static. People were there, but they kind of weren't there at the same time, except for one guy. One guy who was about 150 yards across this mega room, sitting on a couch or a sectional by himself, and as I saw him, I felt impressed. I, I felt the Lord impress something on me. And when I say impress, I don't mean I heard things audibly. I didn't. I, I, I know people say that they do. I did not. I didn't see words with my eyes. Some people have said that that's how they receive. I did not. I just felt like something spoke to my soul. That's all I know how to explain it. Not so much my ears, but my soul. And what I heard the Lord say in that moment is that young man that you see has never had a dad in his life. He grew up in a fatherless home, and he has always desired and hungered a father in his life. So what I want you to do, Luke, is go over there and tell him that that thing that he has hungered for his entire life, I, the Lord, will be to him. <laughs> I thought, wow, man. So I took a hard gulp. Walked over, obeyed, plopped down on the couch next to him. Yes, it was awkward, right? How can that not be awkward? So I just look at him. He was reading a book on meditation or astral projection or something I have zero interest in. And as, he, as I sat down, he put the book 
he shut it, and he looks at me, and I said, hey, man, I don't mean to be a weirdo or anything, but I feel like the Lord told me to tell you something. Is it cool if I share it with you? And he said, yes, and I told him what I felt like the Lord had conveyed to me. Turns out, this guy grew up with zero father and always hungered a father in his life and was curious about spiritual things, which is why he was reading the book he was reading, okay? So that meeting turned into two meetings, turned into 10 meetings. He became radically born again at the middle part of that very same semester as a freshman, born again out of witchcraft, a world where he was a pretty big deal. He was actually the student president of the local coven there. Got radically saved. I don't know to date I've ever seen in my life anyone change so radically and so quickly, blasting through Bible studies, just consuming material. He burned all of his old scrolls and books. He actually legally changed his name to reflect what God did in his life. <laughs> he went all the way to the other end. I ended up taking him with me to different universities and college campuses to do ministry work because he had a specific heart and conviction for those who were locked up in witchcraft. And he was very effective, very effective. You know, over the next few years, I watched him grow married a godly woman, made a family. Last I heard, he is still a worship leader in Texas. God did something cool. Go back to 1999, I didn't have a category for what happened. I, I also didn't have a gifts test that I found online that told me that that would likely be a gift that I would be good at, so I need to focus on that gift. I don't believe that's really how we find our spiritual gifts, by the way. I was simply open, hungry, desirous. I asked I waited with expectation, and God delivered. That's all that happened in that moment. Now, like I said, I think Paul would have called this a word or an utterance of knowledge, depending on what Bible you're reading. I didn't really care what you called it. I just liked it. I liked what it did in my heart. I liked how I saw that gift just impact and change this young man. Listen, I have a dream that... We as a church can walk in giftings like this, just like that one, where God takes our nicely laid plans and tussles them, <laughs> demonstrating his power and his splendor and his magnificence and his weight through us in places where we just feel like we're out on a limb, places that make us feel uncomfortable, maybe awkward, like we have to take a risk. I have a hope that you grow a robust theology on the Holy Spirit and his gifts, but I hope you also have a rowdy expectation that he will visit you too with just a bulk of gifts in his presence, that he manifests and demonstrates himself in your life to where you walk in moments just like that, but even greater. That's what I have a hope for, because I firmly believe that every Christian in this room has a gift, every single one, or a set of gifts that God wisely and sovereignly gave you, as Paul would later say that he apportioned by his will. And I have a firm belief that when you welcome and practice these spiritual gifts and you welcome the Holy Spirit's activity in your life, you will enjoy God more. I'm going to explain why that's true here in a moment. But as we jump into this series, I'm just going to let you know I'm going to do the best I can to give examples of where these spiritual gifts look healthy and where they look sick and what we do in response to them, Okay because there's a lot of confusion. And this is a lot of ground to cover. So I'm not gonna re-preach what we did last week, which is kind of where we're at theologically as a church. 
what we would call pneumatology or the theology of the Holy Spirit and the gifts therein. If you wonder where we're at as a church, maybe you weren't here last week, you could always go back and listen to that. I will say very clearly, there is no gospel without the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit's contribution to what we call the good news is as valuable as what Christ did on the cross. And that bothers some of you that I said that, and that should show you how far we have pushed the Holy Spirit down. He's become a footnote or a backup quarterback or a supporting actor where he's part of the Trinity but not really part of the Trinity. But listen to me now. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that lifted Jesus from the cold, dark grave. There is no good news. There is no resurrection without the power of God's Spirit. In fact, in your life, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that took your unresponsive heart out and put a responsive heart in. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that not just regenerated your heart and made you a Christian, but sustains you as a Christian every single day. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the only way that we change. The only way we love God more, trust God more, see God more, enjoy God more. The Holy Spirit's the only way that we can read the Bible and even see Jesus clearly in it. Understand who God is. Understand who we are, really. We believe that the Holy Spirit is the only hope we have to reach Knoxville. It's the only hope you have to reach your family, your neighbors, your friends. And we believe that the Lord manifests his strength and his presence and his sweetness and his thoughtfulness through the very powerful gifts of the Holy Spirit today. So we're going to jump in. Last week was a bit of a preamble to this series, but today we're actually hitting the text running So if you have a Bible, look at 1 Corinthians 12, because this is kind of where Paul reroutes the conversation as he's speaking to this church in Corinth. He says in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's just, just for a second, that reads awkwardly, right? Because it looks like Paul's being a little bit of a jerk, because he's calling them pagans. I mean, we wouldn't receive that very well today. That word, all that means in the Greek is ethne. It just means ethnicity or a pe- All he's saying is, is you used to be a different person. You used to be a part of a different people, your old life. In your old life, you did this thing. You chased after idols. They had no voice, no power to form you, okay? And then he starts talking a little bit about Jesus being a curse, Jesus being Lord. What is he doing right here? It also reads a bit awkwardly. I think it's important to remember before you even get into what Paul is saying is that this is a really young church. It's embryonic, really. And just like babies, you're susceptible to even basic attacks, like sabotage. You see, what was happening in this young church is you'd have people coming in and saying that they were full of the Holy Spirit. Hey, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, just like all of you. And God has given me a message, and the message is Jesus is a fraud. Things like that. Now, if someone walked in here and did that, all of you would say, come on, that's not even close to true. We have this big, bulky Bible to put your word against this and just say that that's not right. But they didn't have that back then. Back then they had a piece of James, some Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, five pages in my Bible. That's what they had. They didn't have a complete canon. So what Paul is doing is he's giving them a litmus test of saying, whenever you hear these things, you need to know that is not from God. But whenever you hear this over here, you need to know that is from God. He's just giving them a basic way of steering through these new things that are happening. 
So let's go ahead and move on, verse four. Paul says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Okay, we'll just pause again for a second because, you know, we see variety mentioned three times. I'm really glad for that, by the way. I'm glad that that is mentioned as often as it is because no two people in here have the same gift set. Even your best friend that was born when you were born in that place that you were born in and you guys have done everything, you're like exact, finish each other's sentences. There's, a, there's this, just incredible, this, this incredible diversity of gifting even between you and your clone. All right, there's a variety. I mean, just even with the same gift, there's a variety of intensity, right? I mean, there, you could have two gifted teachers and one is much more gifted than the other. You could have two people that have a gift of helps or a gift of faith and have a very big difference just in intensity alone. Also, there'd be a variety because if you have a different personality than the next person or maybe you have a different second or third or fourth spiritual gift. I mean, our spiritual gifts can influence our spiritual gifts. For instance, I don't think I have the strongest gift of teaching, but I think I have a modicum of a, of a teaching gift. I've always had it. It's been one of the more consistent ones that I've had, right? But, but hear me, I also have a gift of administration. That's a thing, <laughs> believe it or not. It's even in your Bible. The, uh, rows and columns, they don't freak me out. Whiteboards make me excited. I have a gift of administration. There are some teachers in my midst, teachers in this room, teachers in this city, have zero administration, and that changes the way our teaching sounds, right? You take an administrative teacher, and then you take maybe a teacher that has a gift of helps or a gift of hospitality. It's going to sound differently, right? They could both be equally gifted, but the flavor will change. Some of you in here, you, you are highly administrative. You're ninjas administratively, and I love you very much, and I'm thankful that you're here, and we need more of you, I promise, right? But even the flavor of administration changes, does it not? Like I said, I have a gift, but Rebecca, Rebecca Gentry, who is the legacy church administrator, she also has an administrative gift, but hers is flavored by the fact that she has a lot of hospitality, You'll feel it today at 2 o'clock at the chili cook-off. You'll walk in and you'll feel welcome. That's all her. She thought through all the details. I would have made sure that the, that the extension cords were there. We had trash cans and the door was unlocked. <clears throat> we would have been fine there. She comes in and there's going to be like tags there and everything's going to be set up. You're going to feel like, wow, this is well thought through. That's because I didn't do it. We had another administrator do it, right? Different flavors. Just to say there's a variety and there's varieties within varieties, Okay, But one of my favorite parts about this passage, and I believe one of the keys on which the passage turns, is that we're given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Common good. That's going to be something important for us as we move through this. I mean, this generous gift of God to you is actually for the person next to you. It's actually for the person down the street from you, right? You are gifted by God to re-gift, if that makes any sense. You're supposed to re-gift. It's not for you. It's for the common good. It's one of my favorite parts, but I think my favorite part about this part of the passage is that these gifts are not distinct from God, but they are actually God himself. This is what I mean by that. When I give a gift, it is distinct from me. 
It might be a card. It might be a gift card. It might be a package of some kind, an experience, something. But it is not me. I don't pop out and say, here I am with a bow on. That would be lame, right? Aren't you blessed? It's me. Now, God does that with the spiritual gifts, not because he's a narcissist or anything, but because in his brilliance and in his deep consideration, the most incredible gift he could give you is himself. We see that in the gospel too, though, don't, don't we? Our, our best Christmas gift is the fact that he would incarnate and walk among us. He brings himself to bear in our midst because he loves us so much. Spiritual gifts, it's going to be the same way. The same way. There's nothing of greater value. He brings himself, manifesting himself in a variety of gifts and ministries and services for the good of others. And that place where you are serving others by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is an enjoyable place to be. That is an enjoy. In fact, you won't find more joy than being in that kind of a place, which is why some of you have a blast walking in your gifting. You look for opportunities to do it, don't you? You love feeling the power of God, the sweetness, the thoughtfulness of God move through you as you serve others at your cost for their benefit. The reason you like that is because it brings you closer to the Lord and it's imaged after the gospel itself. As Christ came as a gift of God at his cost for your benefit, right? That's why we love this. I feel alive when I'm done teaching. Whether it's a partnership class or something like this, I feel alive. Not because I think I did an awesome job and knocked it out of the park. I just feel like God used a moment or two. I feel like he was there. I feel the same way after meeting with the CPA, though. I feel like the same whenever I'm erasing the whiteboard, whenever we do a strategy session. There's a couple staff meetings I walk out of where I just feel like the Holy Spirit was there. And I was able to administrate, not because I read a couple books on it, but because the Lord just spontaneously dropped something on me that was outside of me and we were able to use. I love walking in that. I think this is why we are told by Paul to eagerly desire the gifts. I think it's because we are eagerly desiring the Lord. It is the manifestation of God himself, the Spirit of God himself. And I want more of God's presence in my life, more of his display and demonstration in my life. I want more of it. I want it for your good. And when it happens, I'm happy. I'm joyful. I feel close to the Lord whenever this happens. But what if I wanted it for the wrong reasons, these gifts, this manifestation of God's power? What if I wanted it for another reason? What if the only good I wanted was my own, not the common good? right? That's who Paul's talking to right here. The Corinthians. These are people that are wrecking each other by how they walk in the gifts. They're just wrecking each other. And it's easy for us whenever we read these passages to read it like we're at the zoo or a safari where we're just watching animals bump into each other because they're just so ridiculous and they don't know. They're so basic, you know. We read it. But listen, if you have eyes to see and if you have humility in you, you need to know that the Lord is instructing you and me through this. This letter to Corinth is, in fact, a letter to us, just like last week in Ephesians and Thessalonians. Now, last week, whenever we saw Paul address the Thessalonian church and the Ephesian church, they were tempted to do something a little bit different. They were tempted to despise what God was doing through the Spirit, to grieve, to smother, to extinguish. They were saying no where God was saying yes in moments. They just didn't want to risk the safety and the dignity. They didn't want to lose control of the moment. They would shove the Holy Spirit in a box unless he promised to come out and not embarrass them. 
This was their struggle. Well, the church in Corinth had a different struggle, a different struggle. They would embrace the gifts, but they would use them as a way to create rank, not for the common good, but for their own good. And this makes total sense to me. Anytime you see a setting where gifts are given out to multiple people, people will inevitably create rank based on who got what gift, right? This is why there's nothing more honest than a toddler going nuclear because they got one less donut hole than their sibling did, right? They got two, I got one, or they got 15 and I got 14. That's all it would take, and then they just go ballistic. I get it, there's sugar in those, therefore they're valuable. But what are they also saying? I'm lesser than you. You have more than me, but I'm significant. This is an injustice. Like I'm not approved because I don't have what you have. That's a very real thing. Well, spiritual gifts, they do the same thing to adults. Just like the jobs we get, the money we make, the achievements, all of it. You see, this is how it works. God, when he sees you, has a value for you, okay? Like an appraisal. If you were to hire an appraiser to come and look at your property or a car or an old gun or a musical instrument or something, you're trying to get a value applied to something. Well, God has a value for you. And here's the thing. The gospel says it's not based on what you have done, are doing, or will do, right? That's not how gospel is applied to you or how value is applied to you. Value is applied to you because of what Christ has done. So Christ actually flip-flops with you, and when God sees you, as Martin Luther would say, we have the cloak of Christ around us. He sees forensically the work, the perfect work and righteousness of Jesus, okay? The value given to you as God appraises you is of the highest value, and it cannot be higher. That's why you'll always hear me say, he cannot love you more on your best days, and he will not love you less on your worst days. It is a fixed value, that the appraiser gives you. But here's the thing about humanity, we're not happy with that. We're not satisfied with that vertical appraisal, so we'll take it and we'll cash it in for horizontal ones. Now I need you to give me a value. And guess what, that is based on what I do. That is based on, as John says, the boasting of what I have, the boasting of what I do. It's so that I can get you to see me a certain way, right? This is when we don't believe in how God looks at us. Instead, we believe in catching on how we see each other. Now, gifts, they'll help you do that. Gifts will help you do that. Listen, when you consider your spiritual gifts, you're likely to either have a Corinthian or a Thessalonian sitting on your shoulder trying to convince you that you need more of the gifts so you can be impressive or that you'd want them to go away because they scare you. They're out of control. They're ugly. They're to be extinguished and smothered. One or the other. You'll drift towards one or the other because it's just in us. I talked a little bit about that last week. You know what camp I'm in. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Verse 8, Paul continues, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, unto another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, right? There's a lot listed there. We're gonna go for three, right? 
We're going to go for three today. It's all the time I have. And that is the utterance or the word of knowledge, the utterance or word of wisdom, and the discernment of spirits. Okay? We'll call them the revelatory gifts. Prophecy would be a revelatory gift, but that's going to probably take its own sermon altogether. But these are really cool gifts. The ability to convey wisdom, knowledge, and discern spirits. These are cool gifts. We need them active in this church. We need them active in our families and in this city. I love these gifts. By the way, having wisdom, not a gift. Having knowledge, not a gift. The gift is the ability to articulate it that is spontaneously given by the Holy Spirit that is outside of your basic knowledge. This is a moment where the Holy Spirit brings something to you that you would not normally know or see. Now here's the difficulty in even looking at these gifts. That's about all we get, what I just read to you, right? We just don't have a a giant playbook on these gifts. Later on, you can see it in the New Testament and in the Gospels, you'll see moments where you kind of see it displayed, but you see it more described than you do prescribed. This is why I said earlier in my own case in 1999, it may have been a word of knowledge. Don't know. I don't really care, but I just don't know what it was. And I think what this should show us is that we need to be careful of being dogmatic with what gift is what, with slapping a distinct label on any of them, right? But we do see Jesus himself walking in the power of the Holy Spirit doing something like a gift of knowledge, right? You'll, you'll know it because you'll see it six or seven times in the Gospels where it says Jesus knew their thoughts, where he knew their thoughts. We'll see it in Matthew 9. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Now, this is the thing. They didn't look evil. They were dressed like they weren't evil. They weren't talking evil. They had smiles on their faces, and yet he saw evil in their hearts. All right? Probably the most well-known case is when he meets with a woman by the well who carried a ton of shame with her and a lot of broken relationships. And after he was done ministering to her out of a deep grace, she runs back to town and says, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Right? Now, I know what some of you might be thinking, but Luke, Jesus is God and God is omniscient. So, of course, Jesus knew their thoughts because he is fully omniscient, right? And I understand why you would think that, but I'm going to maintain with other scholars as well, I'm going to maintain that when Jesus incarnated to walk among us as flesh among flesh, that he temporarily suspended the use of some of his divine attributes in order to live as a full human being among human beings. He was fully God. He was also fully man, right? Fully man. But even if you're not with me on that, you will see Peter using the same gift, You'll see Peter using what we would call a gift of a word of knowledge in Acts 5. Because you got this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold some land and they brought some of it and gave it to the church, but they really lied to everybody by saying that they gave more than they did. Peter didn't know any of this. And he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? It's not like Peter got an email that morning or a memo that they had done that, the Spirit of God communicated to him what he would not have known, and there we have Acts 5. And there are over a dozen other examples of this specific gift of what looks like it could be this gift where God's Spirit discloses information that the people would not normally, naturally know, right? 
You could even go back in recent church history and see Charles Haddon Spurgeon doing this. And if you don't know who Spurgeon is, old Baptist preacher in England back in the late 19th century. And this guy has a reputation. I've read a few of his biographies and some of his autobiographical work. And he would just be in the middle of a sermon, just really right in the middle of a psalm, put it down and call a brother out right out of the cheap seats, read their mail. They run out of the room freaking out like anyone would. And then they get radically saved. Happens several times. Sir, you didn't buy those gloves that you have in your hand. You stole those from your employer. You need to make good on that. Someone he'd never met before. He says in his biography, I could tell as many as a dozen similar cases in which I pointed at somebody in the hall without having the slightest knowledge of the person or any idea that what I said was right, except that I believed I was moved by the Spirit to say it. And so striking has been my description that the persons have gone away and said to their friends, come, see a man that told me all things that I ever did. Beyond a doubt, he must have been sent by God to my soul or else he could not have described me so exactly. That is freaky, right? But how cool would that be? What a cool gift. What, I mean, there's a worship leader in Texas that would tell you how valuable that gift is to him. It's a cool gift. Maybe some of you have this. Maybe. Spontaneously, you've just been given an impression. You don't know how you know what you know. You just know it. Something ironed into your soul of souls about a person or a people or a place or a moment. It's not information that you would gain naturally, but you feel like the Holy Spirit is given to you. And, and, and listen, it feels risky to even have it, which is why you're always tempted to just discard it. Because what if you're wrong? How do you handle that? Maybe, maybe later on you realize you were right. Listen, knowing something by the disclosure of the Holy Spirit is exciting. But if it's not for the common good and it's not serving anyone else, it's just a wasted gift, right? It has to be articulated. We'll talk about how to do that here in a second, but I want to just hit real quick. What is the difference between a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom? Lots of people goof this up. It's not a huge thing, but I, I think it's important to look at the audience or the context of Corinth. Who, who is Paul speaking to? Your average Corinthian, they loved wisdom and knowledge. They chased after it, and they collected it as much as they could, more than we do today, which is why Paul uses those words, wisdom and knowledge, all the time in his letters to the church of Corinth. Now, the wisdom that they looked for when they were, as he calls them, pagans, it was framed by a worldly wisdom. This is a wisdom that would have discounted God, definitely discounted one God, one true God. This is a wisdom that would have heard the gospel and said, that's dumb. That's dumb, illogical, makes no sense. I don't want any part of it. That's a worldly wisdom. On the flip side, a spiritual wisdom is one that understands and has a deep, deep love for the wisdom that comes around the gospel. They understand the beautiful dimensions of what God has done for his people. It's mysterious. It's beautiful. This gospel has a hero, and the spiritual wise look into that story and discover who the hero is, right? In fact, we have this really cool moment where Paul actually divides between these two. Stay where you're at. I'm just going to read this to you. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul talks about these two different wisdoms, the one of the world and the one of the spirit, and he says this, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. 
But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then later on he says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. A word of wisdom is the ability to articulate insights into God's mysterious and life-changing gospel, right? You know when you've been around someone that's gifted like this. They're able to just speak of the gospel and the truth of God in such a way that it just comes alive to you. It changes you. It changes the way you think. You can't, get it, you can't unhear it. It's, it's truly altered how you see God, how you see yourself, how you see Christ. I've been around both man and woman who have walked in this gifting, and I feel like I've become a Christian all over again. I just feel new. Like everything I had heard was good, but almost incomplete until I heard this person speak. They've captured my imagination. I see in color. That's what it feels like to be around a person that's gifted like this. What a valuable gift today. In an age where people walk around sad and in need of their imagination to be captured with the truth and the glory of the gospel. To have people walking in a way that they are gifted, that they can actually capture that imagination, speak with vivid color in a way that God spontaneously gives them, not because they went to college for communication or read a bunch of Tim Keller books, but because right in that moment, right in that place with that person, God told them how to speak and how to preach the gospel that they were arrested and they could not go further. That is a gift we need. Please, Lord, bring us that gift. This is a gift we need. So I guess if you want to distinguish between words of knowledge and words of wisdom, I think probably the cleanest way I've heard it is wisdom pertains to the how of the gospel. Knowledge pertains to the what of a person. I like that fine enough. That's been helpful for me. Some of you have this gift of words of wisdom. You can't explain it other than when you're working with somebody or speaking with somebody, whether they are close to Jesus and need the gospel to be sustained or they are far from Christ and they need the gospel to become saved. You just speak and it's like their eyes light up. They might even say things like, I've never heard it like this before. And all you can say is, is I, I wasn't really prepared to even say that. It's just like the Lord came and was very sweet and this cool moment happened. It's a gift. If that's happening to you, friends, that's a gift. It's a gift. Also, one more gift I'd like to hit before we move on is this odd thing called the distinguishing between spirits. Again, we don't have a playbook on this, okay? We don't. Our best estimation is that it is a spiritual gift that enables us to discern between when the Holy Spirit is doing something and when the spirit of man is doing something, or maybe even the spirit of the enemy. The ability to surgically say, this is of God and this is not of God, okay? Now, we are all called to test the spirits. It says this in 1 John 4. John says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's something we're all called to do. But a gift of discerning spirits is something that God just gives us spontaneously and supernaturally, Right? We see this in Acts. There's this cool moment in the eighth chapter of Acts because there's revival and awakening sweeping through Samaria. 
Philip is doing some cool things. The apostles hear about it. They rush over there. More cool things happen. Spirits leaving, people getting healed. It's obvious that the Holy Spirit is active. Watching the whole thing, though, is a magician named Simon, right? Not like birthday party magician, but more like the kind of, the kind of magician that captures everybody's attention. They all think that he is sent from God. They all think he's a really big deal. They invite him to parties, and he is known to be one that represents God himself. And he even watches what this Holy Spirit's doing. He says, I got to get my hands on that. How much does it cost? What do I have to pay to get this thing that you guys are calling the Holy Spirit? This is what Peter says to Simon. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, he didn't see that with his normal eyes. He discerned it with his spiritual eyes. He discerned. We see Jesus do the same thing in John 1. Jesus sees Nathanael coming towards him and says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael can only respond with, How do you know me? How do you know me? We don't know each other. Now, there might have been a little gift of knowledge mixed in there, but he is discerning that the motivation of this man is good that the motivation is good. You may have this gift if you're able to supernaturally discern motivations in critical moments. This is a valuable gift, a valuable one. The ability supernaturally to look at somebody and know, are they suffering from like an emotional depression or are they spiritually oppressed? Which is it? Could it be both? Is it one or is it the other? Is this somebody's persistent sin, or is it a mental illness, right? Is this just a big-time hobby or a little-time addiction for this person, right? Is this thing that's happening in front of my eyes, is this God's spirit doing this, or is this the spirit of man that's just done very well and now it's hard to see? You can have this gift. You might have this gift if you sniff out or discern an evil moment or a place. If you walk into a room, some of you, I mean, this, this is not an uncommon gift. Some of you have probably walked into a room and you've just had this sinking feeling like something's wrong. Motivations are sick in this room or with this person or with these people or with this moment. I don't know how to put my finger on it and I don't even know what to do. I just know I'm on alert, right? I've only had this happen to me maybe twice where I touched the doorknob. One of them was with this guy I was mentioning earlier. He drugged me into a witchcraft meeting because we were, long story short, he broke it up, preached the gospel and everything. But just walking in, I remember touching the doorknob and thinking I was just going to throw up right there. I, I, I don't, I'd never had anything like that happen before. I did not want to be there. That's all I know. I feel like that was just a basic level discernment of spirits. I think that's all that was. But this is a cool gift, especially if you counsel. If you have a desire to to give priestly care, to shepherd each other, to counsel each other, how cool would it be to hear them talk and read between the lines supernaturally by the power of God? You hear them say something, but you know there's something else going on as well, right? I've been in counseling moments where I listen to the person talk, and I'm just following right along. I'm like, sure, whatever they say sounds good to me. The person next to me, not buying any of it. And they'll come out and call them a liar or something. I'm thinking, whoa, this just got crazy really fast. I don't know that I'd say they're a liar, you know. I mean, they got problems. But I don't know. turns out they're lying. Turns out this person discerned something highly accurate, and it was spontaneous and by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a valuable gift for us today. Valuable gift. Pray for it. Eagerly desire it. 
So what does it look like to eagerly desire and walk in these? I want to put some points up, and we're going to walk through them quickly, and then we're going to be done. One is that you just need to ask God for these gifts with consistency and expectation, right? Not that God's going to be manipulated in giving a gift like this to you just because you were eager and consistent, right? God might have something different for you, different gift or two or three for you. But we are called to eagerly desire the gifts that build up each other. These three that we've talked about so far, they are really good at encouraging and building up the church. I think another thing we need to do is look at our motivations. Why do you want that gift? Do you just want to belong? I just need something to contribute so I could just be a part of the team. I could belong, I could be seen, I could be significant. Why do you want it? Another point is to collect people and material around you that can help you sharpen this gift. Listen, there's a lot of moments in the Bible where you can see all of the spiritual gifts working pretty clearly, but there's also a lot of healthy people that are walking in it today and they're writing on it and they're coaching and consulting on these things, right? I mean, just to be incredibly tangible, anything you can get your hands on that was written by Sam Storms is gonna be very effective here. I pull a lot from that well. Another one is Wayne Grudem. They do a good job, not just in believing good theology, but actually walking in these Holy Spirit gifts, right? But also find people around you that are similar, that walk in some similar giftings and talk to them. Ask them what they struggle through. How do they sharpen that gift? Another big one, I think, and this is a big point, study the character of God closely, knowing that a revelatory gift won't contradict the Bible. The closer you stay to the Bible, the safer you will be in these giftings. But if you have a hard time, low Bible IQ, and you have a hard time spotting the character of God or the words of God, you see how difficult that would be in receiving something like a revelatory word? You're just gonna need to increase your Bible IQ. It's very valuable to study the character of God. Another probably more tangible thing is to carry a journal or an app or something with you where you can record it down. I know that sounds like it's just a, 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 an extra step that probably doesn't need to be taken because I know what you're thinking. How can I forget something like that? I mean, if the Lord tells me for sure, I'll remember that forever. No, you won't. I can't tell you how, I mean, three times I've had dreams in the middle of the night that I knew were from God. I'd wake up, I'd write them down in as much detail as I could. 48 hours later, I'm like, I don't remember 20% of this. A year later, I don't even remember what the main point of the dream was. It comes back to me. You want to write it down. You want to write it down. One big reason is the next point, because you're going to run it by some trustworthy people, mature people. Make sure it lines up with the Word. Make sure that it not only lines up with what the Word says and the character of God, but make sure it's helpful to the people. The whole goal of the spiritual gifts is to upbuild and encourage each other. So if it's a highly accusatory gift, a very caustic word, or if it's like a message or some sort of a, a thing where it's kind of pointed and it's, and it's hurtful, it's good to have people around you say, I don't think that's from the Lord. You're going to want to run that by people. Let community help you with these gifts. A big point I feel like that's making that'll help these gifts be more healthy in the church, is when you do risk yourself, do it with a submissive heart. I don't care if you feel 50% sure of what God said or 100% sure of what God said. You are not a prophet, capital P, and your words are not scripture. You're not completing the canon with this revelation that God has given you, right? So you want to submit it. It needs to sound something a little bit like, hey, 
I could be wrong, but I'm just going to leave this with you. I'm going to put it here on the table. You can listen with it. You can do what you want. I'll be over here. I, I'm going to do the best I can. I feel like God told me to tell you this, but I've been wrong before. I just want to submit this to you. That, that's the, that's the, the humility you want to carry with these gifts. Okay? And then this, is, this last point is probably not one on those who feel like they have these gifts, but one who is receiving something like this. Do not, capital D, do not make life decisions solely based on a word of knowledge. I have seen this before. It is not good, okay? If you're making a big life decision, resource your Bible, resource the people around you, resource the leaders around you, pray about it, fast over it, but don't let somebody come up and say, hey, I just... I feel like the Lord told me you need to quit your job and move to Utah. Or, and, and, and then you go off and do it. I know that sounds crazy. I've seen people do this. I've seen people do it. Don't do that. Don't do that. Go ahead and stand with me. I had to fly through those. That was a lot to cover. But listen, as we finish this service with our response as we engage the Lord through singing and through prayer and through giving, one of the things that we highly prize are the communion tables in the back, what we call the table, okay? And when we take communion as a church, we remember what Jesus has done for us, but not just that, but what he's calling us to. There is a better banqueting table we're being called to, right? One where we celebrate together. But when you go back there, I want you to be thankful for these gifts, these gifts of the Spirit, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, a discerning of spirit, they're, they're meant to point to Christ. They're meant to point to Christ, and for that we can be thankful. Friends, ask yourself these questions when you're back there. Do you eagerly desire the gifts? And why not if you don't? Why not? Do they scare you because you can't control them? Why do you not want them? Why do you despise them when you see them? Why do you start with doubt? Right? Or maybe you abuse them. Maybe you need these gifts to be somebody in a world full of somebodies. Right? See, there's room to repent for us, even in a teaching, which is that's more or less what that was, on the spirit gifts. There's room for us because of our lack of energy and eagerly desiring the gifts. There's room to repent for despising the spiritual gifts when we do see them in action. There's room to repent for whenever we do abuse them because we need this horizontal appraisal because the vertical one's just not gonna do it for us anymore. But there's also room to celebrate because God loves us so much. I mean, consider this. This is the same God that booms through thunder and fire across the vast oceans. We're talking about a God that is majestic, beyond our comprehension, cares so much about our minor little interactions with each other that he would show up and demonstrate his power. That's how much he loves you and the people around you. That's a lot to celebrate. But the most exciting thing for us as a church is not the, the celebration of a gift, but the celebration of the true gift that came that these gifts point to, which is Christ himself. The person of Jesus. That's the real prize. Not the experience of a gift, but the experience of the gospel that points to the gift. If you are here and you have no relationship with God, there is a greater gift than the ones I'm talking about. There's a much greater gift than 
being able to speak wisdom that's supernatural. We're discerned between spirits, and this is the gift of Christ. My prayer in a moment will be for you to respond to this gift. My prayer will be that not only do we repent as a church and celebrate as a church, but for those of us who are far from Christ, that you see Jesus as he really is, that you see him clearly and compellingly, even if you are in Jesus, even if you are a Christian, that you too would see the beauty and the gift of Christ a fresh way, a fresh way. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your gifting to us. I thank you for your spiritual gifts. And most of all, I thank you for the one singular best gift you could have ever given, and that is yourself as Christ upon the cross after a perfect life lived, a passionate death, and then a valiant resurrection. This one beautiful gift of the gospel that does not just change people and make them kids, but actually sustains your kids throughout this time. Lord, that you continually change us. You don't just change us once, but you're always working in us, always caring for us. That's a gift. But Lord, as we watch you move in our midst through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I know it does things to our hearts. It does something to my heart. I kind of want to push back. It freaks me out. It makes me weirded out. It makes me nervous to see you doing things I can't explain, things I can't put a lid on. And then, I, Lord, I know because I've been around lots of really sweet and great people that they struggle around the gifts of your spirit for a very different reason. They're more Corinthian than they are Thessalonian. And they just have to have those gifts because they need everybody to see them, to value them, to verify them. Lord, we are so good at breaking gifts. We not only break the spiritual gifts, we break each other, and we definitely break you. We put you on the cross. So, Lord, as we take communion and as we sing, Lord, minister to us by the power of your Spirit. Shepherd our hearts. Draw us to you. Show us who you are in an incredibly clear and compelling way. Capture our imaginations, Father, that we would see you freshly, even if we've been with you for a very, very long time, that we would see you freshly today. We love you, Lord. You're incredibly kind to us, incredibly thoughtful to us, very sweet and patient with us. Who are we? Who is man that you would dare come down and be with us, walk with us, and even give us gifts? You are so sweet, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.